Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Money is a tool to live a better quality of life to actually help you express your full potential and live your highest purpose. That is a reason why we work hard. Money is just energy. We're just trading energy for our soul. And I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. And basically, I want to be reminded all the time that I need to keep money in perspective. I need to keep life in perspective. It's very, very short. And so I want to treat money as a tool to express my full potential and live my highest purpose. Sometimes I personally get lost in what my highest purpose because I'm hanging around with all these people that make a lot of money. And at the end of the day, it's not about that. It's about how we can help others. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. 
It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Louis, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to have you here. You are pretty much a legend in the financial planning space, so I'm super, super excited for our conversation. Well, thank you so much. I don't know if I'm a legend. I'm an OG, I guess, right? I'm an old guy. I've been doing this for a long time, but I have been around. Excellent. All right. So let's start off with an introduction for folks who don't know who you are. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. So I am a wealth and business manager for the Latin entertainment space. But my claim to fame is that about 1990, I left a high-powered firm in Newport Beach, California, working with multimillionaires and billionaires to go back to the barrio in Boyle Heights, where I grew up. So I grew up in the barrio of East Los Angeles and started helping underserved communities and realized that back then, everybody was talking about Latinos were mostly unbanked. We had 67% unbanked and we had a lot of Latinos that there was no financial literacy for them. Going back to that community, I realized that we needed to change the mindset more than giving them financial literacy. So I started writing books. So while being back in the barrio, I ended up writing five books. I currently have another book coming out this year called The Go Better Entrepreneur. I've written a book for women as well called Small Business, Big Life for Women. But my claim to fame was the Latino journey to financial greatness, probably close to half a million copies already. Through that, I did end up doing a commercial for Hyundai. And that commercial, I think I was some big wigs doing the English side. They had me doing the Spanish side. The actress there was Sandra Cruz, who ended up becoming almost my sister. I call her my sister from another mister. But she was married to a gentleman that worked at Sony. He ends up becoming the president of Sony Music Latin. He asked me, my wife, if we know about business management. This was two decades ago. We said no. And he taught us everything. So while I continued working and speaking and serving the underserved Latino communities throughout the country, I started working with iconic Latin entertainers. I worked with Jenny Rivera before she passed away. In fact, make sure that she got her estate plan done and handled her kids for a decade. And I continue to handle some of the most iconic Latin artists in the country. With that being said, I'm the first Latino certified financial planner in the United States. I was the first, not Latino, but the first minority on the National Board of the Financial Planning Association. And I'm currently on the National Board for Certified Financial Planners. What an incredible journey. There's so much that I want to dive into this conversation with you. I want to start, though, at your childhood, right? Because we all have money stories. And I'm curious into how that played a role, if at all, into your career decision to become a financial planner. Money stories. I'm going to give you a cute money story. And you might not remember it because you're too young. So back then, well, maybe they still have them, I guess. Do you remember those five-gallon water jugs that people would get and they would lift them up and put them on there? My money memories of my parents, because they struggled. My dad was basically iron worker. My mom stayed home with the kids. And so we didn't have a lot of money. But my parents saved every penny, every nickel, every dime into these five-gallon water jugs. And let me just share with you, it would get so freaking heavy that we would have to turn it over. And my mom would go to the bank. There was little papelitos where you would open them up and then you'd get all the coins. Okay, I remember doing that. Another money story, I remember that my parents were so poor, but my dad, because of all of that, he would find 
those dimes that had mercury, they were called mercury dimes. And he had a little coin collection. And I remember one time we were so poor, we never ate out ever. And one day I remember my sister and I, we were little and we wanted ice cream. And my dad had to go in and break through and get some of his mercury dimes, the really expensive stuff to buy us ice cream because he didn't have a dollar in his pocket. That's stuff that he considered sacred money. And last story, when I was 11 years old, my dad lost two jobs and we were pretty close, maybe a month away from moving into the car because he didn't have enough money for rent. So my dad took all the money he had and he bought a welding machine because he was an iron worker and opened up his own business. And at the age of 11, because I was the eldest and I spoke English, like most of us were the eldest in Latino families, right? We're the translators and everything else. I filled out my dad's paperwork to start his business application. And then a couple of years later, at the age of 13, when the IRS showed up to my dad's business, he hadn't filed tax returns. And they asked us if I could help him. I mean, if you go to a CPA or somebody, we didn't know who. So I found a book. My dad took me 15 miles away from East LA because just so you know, last year, and 40 years ago, and last night, there was still was no bookstore in East LA. So he drove me out there. I read a book on how to file taxes at the age of 13. I filed my dad's sole proprietor tax return. Just money memories that I have as a kid. Yeah, I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast can absolutely relate with kind of being the family money manager, even <laughs> in your adolescence. So tell me about how you made the decision to pursue this as a career now. Well, speaking about that tax return, two years later, my dad got audited for that tax return. It was in Almonte, California. We went up to the fourth floor and I remember that I was probably sweating and shaking and I thought my dad was going to go to jail because somebody had told me at the age of 13 that you can kill people in the United States, but if you owe taxes, they send you to jail. And they mentioned some guy named Al Capone. So pobrecito me, right? I had no freaking idea what's going on. So we got through the audit. The lady asked my dad who had done his tax return. She pointed at me and she asked me, how'd you know how to depreciate a welding machine? I explained to her that I read a book and there was some kind of mid-month convention and I had to count the days and whatever. She must have felt so sorry for us that she let us go with no change. But after we were in the parking lot, I told my dad, I'm going to have to go to college, dad, to learn how to help you with your businesses because I have no idea about tax or investments and all that. So it pushed me to go to UCLA. I got an MBA at Claremont Graduate School while I was getting my MBA. A good friend of mine told me about the CFP program. I became a CFP and ended up working in financial planning. And by the way, just so you know, I hated it. I left the industry after about a year and a half. I was really depressed because I was taught to do financial planning that we should have opened the bank accounts and had savings accounts and yada, yada, yada. But they would meet me every month to see what my production was. And I had five families open up checking accounts and savings accounts at a bank for the first time. Yeah, but you don't get paid on that. Yeah, but I had them save money, but they will have money. And yeah, but you don't get, why don't you sell them an annuity? And when the annuity, you're both going to win or sell them some kind of cash value life insurance product. And I couldn't do that. And so what I did is I quit financial planning. I ended up going to get my CPA at a big firm. And then lo and behold, in 1990, I had personal tragedy strike. I met some guy at a coffee shop that changed my life and I went back to the barrio. I think it's just incredible how the things that we experience as kids can have such a massive impact on our career choices, the decisions that we make, and the impact that we decide to have in the world. So you could have easily decided, I want nothing to do with money because all I saw was stress and anxiety and trauma as a kid, but you actually ran towards it. So I think that's awesome. Well, I appreciate that. But it was more of a sense of an obligation to help your family because for Latinos, right, family is a huge value. And my dad was on his own and he came here to the United States with not knowing the language. He really didn't hear well. There's a funny joke that I now tell people because when I ended up working at a firm called Kenneth Leventhal in Newport Beach years ago, all my colleagues' parents were all Anglo, right? I was the only Latino there. 
their parents were doctors and lawyers and CPAs and all of this stuff and workers that were earning good money. And they would ask, what did my parents do? And just jokingly, I would say, well, my parents in the iron and steel business, because my dad was an ornamental iron worker, you know, they window guards and fence. And then I would follow it up by iron and steel business. And I would say that my mom irons and my dad steals. That's a terrible joke. I heard Hannah Youngman say that joke back in the, I don't even 80s, before you were born. And I've kept it. But yeah, so it's been an interesting ride, right? And now what I do is I'm actually doing a show right now called Opportunity Knox for PBS. And it just got picked up for a second season. So we're really happy about that. And it may even be moving to Netflix, to be quite honest with you. So just a kind of amazing stuff. But my whole calling has always been to work with people from a very financial dignity kind of point of view, very humanistic. And that's the way it's always been. Yeah. So you were mentioning also that you found yourself in a position where as a CFP, you were kind of being driven towards a commission-based process of working versus someone who's working as a fiduciary for their clients. And so- Very product-driven. Very, very product-driven. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think a lot of people can fall victim to the big financial corporations and think that because they're hiring a financial planner, that that person is always going to have their best interest in mind. And so I'd love for you to kind of tell folks, since you're one of the insiders, what they should be looking for when they're working or thinking about working with a CFP. Yeah. Well, with any financial planner, right? The thing is, first of all, they should actually look to work with a certified financial planner or CFP because that's like the minimum standard. It's considered the gold standard in the industry. That doesn't mean you're working with great people. You still have to ask them a lot of questions, but the CFP is a really complicated and difficult exam to pass. So you want somebody who's going to be calling themselves a financial planner. Otherwise, they're just going to be a product person, a salesperson. Most of the time, they're insurance people. Now, I am not against insurance people whatsoever because insurance, life insurance, for example, has saved so many of my clients' lives with spouses have passed away and their kids would have had anything if it were insurance. But the problem is you have to decide what you're really trying to accomplish. And so you want to ask them their philosophy about financial planning, how they're getting compensated. If they ever tell you, well, the company pays me, you don't have to worry about that. Well, now you know that's a commission. Do you get paid by commission? Do you get paid fees? Do you get paid hourly, you know, a fixed fee? Actually, believe it or not, what you just said was one of the best things. Are they a fiduciary? A fiduciary means by law, they must put your best interest first. Most people that work for what are called broker dealers don't have a fiduciary standard. They have what's called a suitability standard. What's the difference? The difference is you come to my Honda dealer and you're telling me, Luis, I need a big truck and one that can haul this and that. And I say, well, I have a Honda Pilot that I can sell you, but you're not going to tell me to go to the GMC dealer or whatever because you're trying to make a sale. I'm going to try to put you in something that's more suitable for you, but it's not might be the best thing for you as well. So it's important to ask at least Suitability standard, fiduciary, are you a CFP and how do you get compensated? And the other thing I'm going to tell you right now, I would have never said this, but I'll tell you that we have been an economy where for almost 12 years, we just had a bull market. And so a lot of young planners have never been through a horrific bear market. We haven't been in one yet either. And so you want to have at least somebody that's been through a really difficult time because what happens, a great financial planner will hold your hand and keep you calm during these periods of uncertainty in the economy. So that's really important as well. Is there a way to verify if someone is a certified financial planner? Like, is there a database we can search? Yes, you can go to the CFP, basically CFP.net, and you can go in there and you can verify if they're a certified financial planner. Okay, great. Okay, so I'm curious, as the first Latino certified financial planner in the United States, that must have been a really interesting experience to just find yourself in a pool of 
people who don't necessarily have your same cultural context and might be looking at you like, what the hell are you doing here, right? Because with the finance world, I think it's been very homogenous for a long time. And that's why a lot of people in our community have found we don't even belong in these conversations because we don't see ourselves represented. Yeah. And the thing is the same thing, like, for example, you as a woman, right? You go to a lot of organizations where you're probably sometimes one of very few women, right? So when I started, let me just share with you, right now, there are 95, 97,000 certified financial planners. Around 4% of those are Latino and Black, okay? Latino and Black, 4% together. So can you imagine going back 30 years and imagine I'm going to like the Financial Planning Association Conference that would have close to two to 3,000 people, and I would see maybe one Black person and no other Latinos, just me in the room. And to be quite honest with you, I went to these national conferences. I would tell people what I was doing, that I was back in the Biden, and I had a lot of support, believe it or not. It's interesting. Our community is interesting as well. Can we get down to the nitty gritty sometimes, right? I wrote my very first book, The Latino Journey to Financial Greatness, and it got published by HarperCollins. And I asked at that time to try to get testimonials from Latino professionals and actors, whatever. Not one gave them to me. Not one. It wasn't until I got David Bach, who wrote Smart Women Finish Rich, Smart Couples Finish Rich, who was on the Today Show for years, Gene Chatsky, until they gave me their testimonials. Then I got the Latinos on board who were at first afraid to give me testimonials. So it's been an uphill battle. And sometimes I'll be quite honest with you. It wasn't just in the Anglo world. It's also been in the Latino world, but they're starting to get used to it because also at the same time, they wouldn't see me back then because there were so few of us. They wouldn't see me as a professional or as good enough. So I had clients in the barrio that had kind of made it out because they were doctors and lawyers who just kind of starting out. And they got to a point where they're making really great money. They would leave me to go to Jewish or white financial planners at the time. Now it's funny because I get Jewish and white clients who want to come and work with me. We weren't good enough still. And it's our own culture sometimes that we kind of sabotage ourselves or sabotage our community by not working with people like you, right? Or people like me. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I have found that that's the same thing that happens often in the Black community. You just feel like at some point they're no longer qualified or it's kind of a trip to me, honestly. <laughs> like we can sometimes be our own worst enemies. We need to call it out because at the end of the day, though, I think that when we call it out and we make other people conscious of it, other Latinos conscious of it, they get it. They say, you know what? You're right. Why am I doing that? You're right. I mean, so the thing is that I know that right now it's a good thing to always keep everything really positive, but I see that as positive. Like we have to help each other out. I need to help you. You need to help me. We need to help each other. I'm going to share with you. I'm doing the show called Opportunity Knocks, and we're trying to get some media attention to it so people can kind of follow the show because it's a great, great show on PBS. And it's right now at 120 markets. But I reached out to you and I reached out to you because you were Latina. And I'm saying, hey, I would love to be on your podcast. You've had a great podcast. And I've listened to some of your podcasts. I'll go on there when I can. And you were, hey, come on and I'll help you out. So that's the kind of stuff that where we need to help each other out. Same thing if you ever need help reach out to me and vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. That whole crabs in a barrel mentality has kept us really behind the eight ball as a community. And I think one thing that I've experienced time and time again as an entrepreneur, and even just as a Latina is creating community and really curating a group of people who are supporting you is much more productive than trying to lift the whole community by yourself. You are 1000% correct. And the other thing is that listening to your other podcasts, one of the things that I admire you for, because we're very similar, is that you're very blunt and you call it like it is and you don't take shit from anyone, right? And so I've always been that way. Sometimes people don't like us for being so honest, but sometimes the truth hurts, but it'll set you free. 
we have to say things more in a loving way and add a little bit more honey to it. But on some of the podcasts I've listened to you before where you've said things straight, while I'm walking my dog, my Belgian Melon, I've got you on my headphones. I go, yeah, man, that's the way you call it out. It's, it's, oh. it's good stuff. I think it also encourages people to keep it real too. Sometimes you just got to lead by example. You got to keep it real. Yeah. Okay. So I want to know more about this wealth and business manager role that now you are playing for Latino artists, because first of all, I'm obsessed with that whole industry in general. I feel like it's so secretive and gatekept how that whole industry works, but I'm really curious because when I think of business managers, I think of horrible stories where artists didn't have their taxes filed for years and people were stealing money from them and all kinds of like crazy stuff. How does it work? What does a business manager do, first off? The thing is, I started doing wealth management for my friend Sandra and her husband, Nir. And he said, I trust you guys so much and you're so honest and helping other poor people. I'd like to help you out in the industry. And when I got into it, one of the things that I did from the very get-go is I always wanted to make sure that there was complete transparency for my clients that were in the barrio who were getting ripped off. And so what happened was that when we came into the business management side, it's a brutal industry, by the way, very competitive, but it's hard to break in because it requires so much knowledge. We wanted to work with the Latino artists also who were not used to business management. They were used to dealing also with a corner guy or the tío who did their tax returns and then they blow up. But let me give you a little example of what we do on a day-to-day basis. So let's say that I am meeting with you today for the very first time and you're an artist, you're a famous artist, or we have social influencers, artists, we have anybody in the entertainment side. We're going to double check to make sure that the way your structure for your company is correct to help you minimize taxes and mitigate risk. We're going to open up your bank accounts. We're going to pay your bills. We're going to buy your cars. We're going to do your tax returns. We're going to invest your money. We're going to set up your retirement plans. We're going to oversee all the insurance. We're going to handle all your tour accounts internationally. We're going to get the W-9s. We're going to set up the 1099s to everybody you paid. We are going to refinance your homes. In the last six months, I've purchased one jet, leased a jet, probably about three Bentleys for clients leased. I don't know how many cars. We're negotiating contracts, advances, and we've got 20-year-olds, 20, 20, 30-year-olds that are getting advances now anywhere from $5 million to 10 to 15. We've got one right now that's getting a $50 million advance, and they're 20-something years old and don't know what the heck they're going to do with that. We have to make sure that they actually file their tax returns, pay the taxes on it, and did the tax structure before they got the money to be able to decide how we're going to make that money last for their lifetime, because you're right. I have picked up iconic artists. If I mention names, I won't mention names to you, but you would definitely know anyone listening to would know who they are. They've been around for 20 years and we sit with them and we say, great, show us your bank accounts, show us your investments. And there's nothing, zero, zilch. They're still kind of living paycheck to paycheck, song to song, royalty to royalty. And it's a damn shame. And I said, not on my watch. We're going to make sure that we get their estate plan done, have money put away, pay their taxes. Taxes are actually one of the biggest problems in the business management world. That's one of the first things you mentioned. And there's a lot of stuff that's done behind closed doors and you have to deal with personalities. Once an artist sometimes gets too big, you have to be really careful because all the people around them are living off that person and then they become their yes men or yes woman. And so what happens is now the artist basically thinks that if they tell you that the sky is green or purple, everybody says, yeah, it's a beautiful color purple. And they start spending money like crazy and doing crazy stuff and nobody's there to stop them. And I would say in the last two or three years, we've been fired from some of our clients for doing our job. We've actually sat there and said, you cannot spend money like this. You're not going to have anything. You're going to have to pay your taxes. If you're going to fire me, fire me for doing my job. 
because at the end of the day, I don't want to be responsible because I don't need a crystal ball to know what's going to happen with this person if they don't heed our advice. And a lot of it is a facade. A lot of it, what you see in the entertainment industry really is kind of a facade. The jewelry, the cars and everything else. And that's one of the things that we're having a problem with a lot of the clients were like on social media, right? They're comparing themselves to not even the famous people, but other people who are in front of their jets or whatever. They just went to an airport and took a picture in front of it and showing what people, what they have. And so everybody starts seeing, wow, I want to live that lifestyle. They start overspending. The social media has actually created an interesting phenomena in the, I would say the financial planning space. It's that lifestyle inflation that, I mean, anybody can fall victim to. If you get a raise at work, the first instinct is, okay, I'm going to upgrade that car that I've been meaning to, or I'm going to go buy the bigger house. And for me, I'm always going to ask myself, is this actually necessary? Or am I just feeling the pressure to keep up with the Joneses? Am I being influenced by external forces? Do I feel like I need to have a certain appearance on social or whatever, just in my friend circle in order to feel like I fit in? It's okay to ask yourself those questions and not just go in autopilot because I think a lot of times we make those bad decisions. Yeah, it is. But you know, if you and I are honest, if you and I were having a drink together right now and imagine that we're having a drink and talking, not everybody's listening to us, but sometimes at least for social influencers or for media people, they kind of have to do that. It's unfortunate because all the people that are watching them, seeing them, going to their movies, going to their concerts. They want to see their star look a certain way, dress a certain way, drive a certain car. And it's very aspirational and it's kind of dysfunctional, right? It's very dysfunctional. But I will share with you that if you get this young kid who drives up in a Bentley with his prendas or joyas and his rings and looking cool, all the young girls will be attracted to that. And all the eyes on that person where if he just showed up in a Toyota Corolla and shorts and whatever, nobody's going to show up. It's just kind of a dysfunctional world that we live in where sometimes you just can't be yourself. You have to be, like I said, it's a facade that you're playing. It's a role that they're playing, but it actually does hurt them when they're not saving the money, right? When it's all means, but at some point they have to have their wits about them. They have to understand that and then understand that they've got to save some money. I mean, it's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to me at the same time because we're doing television, we're writing books and doing stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that has always stressed me out about the entertainment industry is when you hear stories like Whitney Houston or Prince, these major, major artists who did not have an estate plan. And it's just, how does this happen? So maybe that's my question. How the hell does that happen? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, so that is one of my pet peeves. So one of the things that I do is I make sure that every single one of my clients will have an estate plan in place. I've got a couple that I've been after for about a year and a half, two years, and I'm now at the point where I'm just going to get it done. Are you familiar with Jenny Rivera? Yeah, absolutely. And what happened and how she passed away on a plane crash? It was a plane crash, yeah. I got everything signed and transferred over to her trust one week before she passed. And she would have not had one if I wouldn't have pushed her to get one, right? And so I made sure that she sat down with the attorney, got it done right and whatever. 
I will share with you that most people don't like to contemplate death and it's 1000% or 100% that we're all going to die. And we don't know when we're going to die. We could die in an earthquake like what's just currently happened. We can die in a mass shooting, whatever. We could die from cancer at a very young age. And we leave our children, our family really in dire straits when we pass away. In the community that I grew up in, when people passed away, we would have car washes, sell t-shirts just to bury someone. Yeah, now it's GoFundMe. Now GoFundMe, exactly right. And so that's not financial dignity. And it really now at this day and age where there are apps, there's an Encore Estates or Will and Trust online, you could do things for very, very simple, very low cost. But I will share with you that most of the attorneys that are my clients that I work with, attorneys, don't have estate plans either for their own family. Oh my God, that's giving me so much anxiety. I can't even deal with it. (laughs) So I think it's an interesting position that you find yourself in where you're giving a lot of financial advice to creatives. And I think the cool thing about being a creative person is that, you know, you come up with a lot of cool shit that sometimes makes you money, but it's also relatively unstable. So what advice do you have for folks who find themselves in that space and income fluctuates? How can you manage that in a way that makes your desire to make this your full-time gig sustainable? Yeah. So it is, it's very complicated, right? When I'm doing tax projections for a client, a normal person that works at a job, a W-2, it's very simple. At the end of the year, if they're getting too much money back, we're changing their withholdings. If they're owing money, we're changing their withholdings. We want them kind of a break even. Our clients literally will earn one year 300, half a million dollars, and they'll earn the next year 5 million. And the next year, then they earn a million dollars. And the next year, they earn 10 million. Then they earn only 300,000. And so it's just crazy. You have to stay on top of everything. So the name of the firm that I have is Business Management Lab on the business management side. And lab means Louis, Angie Barajas, Angie, my wife. We create what's called, you're going to laugh at this. We create the fuck you fund. <laughs> That's my favorite type of fund. Yeah. And so let me just share with you. And the client says, what is that? It says, we need to put money away for the sanctity of your sanity to do great work in the future. And the problem is if you don't have any money and they sit you down for a horrific script for a horrific movie, it's going to be bad, but you need to pay the bills. You need to feed your kids. You're going to take this movie because you know why? Because you don't have a fuck you fund. Because you don't have money that you know that you can count on for the next couple of years. Because for most people, we ask them to put away three to six months. But if you're a creative, you need to have at least a year or two years put money away, okay? So we'll do a budget for them as to what they're really spending and what we need to have in there. And we try to get that. And I'll have clients call me, how's my fuck you fund doing? Because I'm going to go have a meeting now. I will share with you. Here's the irony of the whole thing. When people are coming to you and they're asking you, hey, would you take this movie role or will you take this song or this advance for whatever, a million bucks? And you're willing to stand up and say, you know, that's not enough money. Because for some reason, we have this vibrational energy, right? It seems like you will sense if I really desperately need that money, if I'm desperate. And you'll instead of walking and offering me a million dollars, you might offer me 750 because you think you can get away with it. And I might take it because I don't have any money. But if I have that $2 million saved up in the bank or whatever I needed to save up, I can get off the table and say, not really, it's not worth it. And that's the reason just for regular, normal people, I tell people, have a fuck you fund because the problem is that if you're at a job where they're no longer valuing you and you can make money somewhere else, but you can't leave because you're enslaved to them because you don't have any money and you've already got your credit card tapped out, you could self-sabotage yourself. Have that fund. So when people tell me, what's an emergency fund for in case an emergency happens? No, in case they're not treating you right or you know what, you have a spouse that's treating you like shit, you want to leave the marriage. 
you have got money saved away. So you got to have that money. I love this so much because that's literally the same advice that I give everyone. Just having options, right? That's what that fund represents. And I think oftentimes we're programmed to just think of emergencies as, oh, my car broke down or I got sick. But no, sometimes an emergency is a job that is stressing you the fuck out. And you're just like, I can't do this anymore. Or I need to take a six month sabbatical because I'm burnt out. And just being able to do those things is what that money is supposed to do. It creates freedom. I've said a billion times, I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. You're not going to take anything with you. Money is a tool to live a better quality of life to actually help you express your full potential and live your highest purpose. That is a reason why we work hard. Money is just energy. We're just trading energy for our soul. And so I'll give you an example. I'm going to give you just one example. Education planning when I was in the barrio, right? If you meet with a financial planner right now and if you have a child and they say, you know what, I want my kid to go to college because I didn't finish college and I want to help them out, yada, yada, yada. Any financial planner will say, well, there's 529 plans, college saving plans, yada, yada. We take a step back. When they make an appointment, we have them bring their children's report cards. We ask them if the parents went to college. We actually do a self-esteem assessment on the kid. We have them bring a letter from their math teacher and their English teacher. This is for education. Forget about it. I'll give you an example of a lady that we worked with. This was all in Spanish. I want my son to go to college. I want to make sure that he has money to go to college. But what's your goal? I want to have enough money to go to college. No. Then I said, cierra los ojos, close your eyes. Tell me what you see. I see my son walking up these stairs in an auditorium and there's this tall white man wearing a hat and a dress, you know, a cap and gown. Yeah. And he's got his diploma. They call his name and he gives him a diploma. I said, well, you've just told me that you want your kid to graduate from college, not go in. In school in East Los Angeles, where they have Roosevelt High School and Garfield High School, they play football and they play at East LA College Stadium. They fill up the stadium with 35,000 people, but They've always had a 60% dropout rate. And then the people that go to junior college or community college never graduate. So the goal is to graduate. So what we did is if what happens, I will share with you, you're going to be my financial planner. My kid comes to you. He's got straight D's, D's in math, D's in English, D's in everything else, low self-esteem, low test-taking ability. And I'm going to tell you that I have a couple hundred dollars to put away for an education plan. What we've done is I'm going to hire a tutor to get his grades up. Maybe the family's dysfunctional. I'm going to hire a therapist. I'm going to hire with that money. We're not even putting in this stuff because I want to give the kid the tools to get in and graduate from college. But the, our industry has been taught to put everybody into a product. And that's the same thing when I meet with married couples on the scale of one to 10, how's your marriage? And if it's not at an eight, level eight or nine, we're using that money to decide, are you going to go through divorce or are you going to get some marriage counseling? No, it's so true. I think a lot of, especially first generation kids feel the pressure to go to college because the parents couldn't do it. And that's not always the thing for people. I have a lot of friends who went, didn't graduate, stayed with the loans. They're now paying these loans back for years. They don't even have anything to show for it. And when you ask them, why did I go? Oh, because my mom wanted me to, but I never actually wanted to. Right. And I think a lot of us also are talked out of these creative type of careers. We look at people like Bad Bunny and it's just, oh, that's great. That's him, but that could never be me. And so we talk our kids out of the fact that that could be a viable career. And I think it's unfair because I think a lot of people can find themselves in careers and with degrees that they necessarily didn't want to pursue, but they felt this pressure from their families and from society that that's the successful thing to do. The problem is we don't have enough 
mentors, right? So one of the things I mentor a lot on the industry of financial planning, I talk to a lot of young Latinos. In fact, today I was on a meeting at noon for the Financial Planning Association mentoring a whole bunch of young Latinos that want to come into the profession because their parents didn't work in this profession. They don't know what it really is. They think it's insurance sales or mutual fund sales or whatever. And we need to make ourselves accessible also like the Latino attorneys and doctors and also mentor these young kids. But here's the thing. We have to tell anybody who's out there who's a little bit lost that if you reach out to people, they will get back to you. I actually have great relationships with some of the top authors in the entire country because I've reached out to them. I think I've done probably close to 600 speeches at universities with Latino groups, and I give them my cell phone. I give them my email address. And in 20 years, I will share with you, I've probably had three kids call me. And I said, if you ever need mentorship, you ever need help or whatever, give me a call, email me. Three kids. And I've probably talked to probably 100,000 people. Yeah, you have to be okay with asking for help. And I think also it's important to have something to offer in exchange for asking for something from someone, right? Making sure it's a reciprocal relationship is important too, because you also don't want to be the type of person that's just asking and taking and not offering anything in return. I agree with you. The only thing is that I think that most of the time people don't ask because they lack the self-esteem to ask sometimes. They feel intimidated, right? They realize that we're just people. I deal with some of the most iconic Latin stars where I'm having dinner with somebody and people are coming and they're crying to meet them and yada, yada, yada. And I'm dealing with them and I know all the problems that they have. <laughs> they're not any different than you and I, except they're very good at something that they've done, right? You have qualities in your life. I have good and bad stuff. We're humans. I can help you with certain things. Don't ask me how to lose weight. I love my Mexican food and my Italian food too much. But if you want to ask me how to save money or how to make money, I know how to do that. So yes, I get it. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Now, I'm curious because one of the things that I've seen as someone who's in the financial space is the rise of money coaches and quote unquote uncertified folks in this industry who are giving financial it's not supposed to be advice. It's just for educational purposes only. Do you think that that's a good thing? Or do you think that folks should steer away from influencers or finfluencers and stick with the financial professionals? Yeah, that's a big topic in the financial planning industry, right? Because a lot of people, for example, I know young people who've paid down their debt. I had $30,000 in credit card debt and now I paid it all off. And I'm going to show you now how to manage all your money. And I'm going to tell you what stocks to buy and what everything else. And never went to school. I think it's actually rather dangerous. But here's the thing. Most financial planners, the real financial planners are very left brain, right? Very logical, whatever. So they're not great salespeople because they're numbers people. And they're not going to be on TikTok and they're not going to be on FaceTime and they're not really going to video. But the ones that don't have any financial information and they're more right brain, they're going to be on TikTok and they can sell you financial stuff. We got to find somebody who has a blend of both. I will share with you that it can be dangerous because clients make a lot of mistakes. They come to me and we have to kind of unravel a lot of the mistakes that they make. And it's just more than paying down debt. The other thing that I'd actually want to share with you at this point that I think that most people that are having a hard time with money, one of the very first things they ever focus on is budgeting. And I will share with you that that's the last thing I work on because I'll put them on automatic bills on everything else. We sit there and we work on how to make more money. I don't know what you're making, but if you come to me and you're making 100000 and you live in Southern California, you and I know that's nothing, right? So net take home to you 100000 So I'm going to be meeting with you on the financial planning side and say, I know we can't, but if we could, 
how do we turn that 100,000 into 200,000? Now, for most people, that seems, wow, that's a lot of money. It's really not. It's not that complicated to make that much money, believe it or not, but you have to have a plan for it. So the goal is that we want to earn a certain level of income to be able to feel safe in the neighborhood that we live in, to drive a decent car and yada, yada. Now, if you and I lived in Topeka, Kansas, that's a different story. We can get away with 60,000, but we got to make a certain level of income. So a lot of people don't spend time on figuring out how they can make more money. They feel stuck in their job. They feel stuck in a rut. And you know what? I know a little bit about your story, how you took, I think, what, five steps back to get you where you are now. And so you have to be willing to take some level of risk if you want to make more. And if you're not, nothing's going to change, right? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. That's what I'm saying. So the thing is that we have to have certain people take a little bit more risk than they're currently doing right now. Absolutely. And I think especially in this environment where everything costs more, you're either going to actively pursue new career opportunities or you are going to consistently feel like you are never going to make progress. So tell me more about this show on PBS, Opportunity Knocks. Tell me what you are actually doing on the show. I'm super excited to find out more. Yeah. Let me give you a little bit of context to that. So I hadn't done a lot of speaking engagements or television for a few years. And the last two or three years, all of a sudden, CBS came back to me, CNBC, everybody's been coming back to me. And they've been wanting me to go back to what I did originally was I really put a lot of spirituality when working with money. And that's what I normally talk about. I don't really talk about budgets or numbers, but I was on Overwhelm. I have Business Management Lab. I have International Private Wealth Advisors, which is my wealth management for the average person. It's called International Private Wealth Advisors. And it's just a lot of work. And I was doing some speaking and they came to me and they wanted me to do a television show. And I told them, no, I couldn't do it. I didn't have the time. But they said, no, 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 no. We want to meet with you. Please meet with us. And so they did. Now, I don't think I told you, but in 1990, I had personal tragedy strike. My grandmother who raised me with my mom died unexpectedly. And if it weren't for her, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. Her name was Socorro Medina. And she was like four foot 10, the love of my life. Her eldest son committed suicide, who was my godfather, who used to buy me books. That's the reason why I read so many books. And then I met a guy at a coffee shop that changed my life. And I can tell you that story later or off this podcast. But they came to me with a story and say, no, what it is, is you, there's three coaches. There's Patrice Washington. There's Gene Chatsky from the Today Show. And then we really want you, and what we're doing is we're coaching two families each who are going through some major financial struggles. But the biggest one was this Latina named uh, Patricia Reyes in El Paso, Texas. We really think that you'd be the most ideal person to help her. God, I'd love to, but I don't have any time. So what happened, bottom line, and she goes, and they said, she doesn't really live in El Paso, Texas. She lives about 45 minutes away. And I go, where does she live? She goes, she lives in Socorro, Texas. So my grandmother that I finished telling was named Socorro Medina. So then I thought, okay, I have to go with my gut. How many Socorro cities in the country? I do all of this for my grandmother, Socorro Medina. And I said, okay, we'll do the show. So what it is, it's a show on PBS that takes these families that sometimes are hurting, they're struggling, whether they're struggling in their jobs or they're stuck in their career paths or stuck in their marriages, but money's involved. We work with a big production team. I do a lot of the more of the coaching part of it, and we get them help. The lady that I had hadn't made her house payment in 10 months because she was a painter who painted at her house, and then COVID hit. Her husband left her with six children. They had no running water at their house, no running water, no heat with six kids. 
We came in. She had to refinance and pull money out of the house because she had no money. They got her a loan. I think it's like a 12% interest, if you can imagine that. This is when interest rates were down like at 3%. So we come in as a team. We work with them. We work with their mindset. We work with their belief systems. We work with their actuals, getting them on the budget. We work on refinancing their homes. We work with what are called CDFIs. I wasn't aware of CDFIs. So there are certain banks and certain credit unions throughout the country that are given money to help out people who need help and people who need help in certain communities. And they're called CDFIs, community development institutions. So they come in and then we take them to one of these institutions. It could be a local credit union that has that designation. And we help them refinance their homes. We help them get loans. We help them get on their feet. And it's an incredible team. And right now it's all over the country. Just got launched like a couple months ago, but it's going slowly throughout the country. And now we just got picked up for a second season. That's amazing. So when does the next season premiere? Do you know yet? Well, right now the currency just launched. I'm in Southern California. So in Southern California, I think they're just barely in the third episode. We taped 13 episodes. They're barely in the third episode, but they can go on the PBS, I think it's called Passport, where they can stream at any time, or they can go to Opportunity Knox on the website and they can watch all the shows there as well. Amazing. We'll make sure to link that in the episode show notes. Louis, this has been an amazing conversation. Before I let you go, because you do work so much in the mindset, what's one affirmation or just saying or favorite quote that you have around money that you try to live by? So I already mentioned it, and I'll say it again. I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. And basically, I want to be reminded all the time that I need to keep money in perspective. I need to keep life in perspective. It's very, very short. And so I want to treat money as a tool to express my full potential and live my highest purpose. Sometimes I personally get lost in what my highest purpose because I'm hanging around with all these people that make a lot of money. And at the end of the day, it's not about that. It's about how we can help others. So that's it. And where can we find you on the internet and social? You can go to lewisbarajas.com or you can go to, I mean, I don't post a lot on social media, but I have a brand new company that we just got back called International Private Wealth Advisors. It's ipwadvisors.com. And you can find me through there. And if anybody has any questions or need any help, I'll throw it out there again. Let's see if I get more than two people that will reach out to me. We'll see. Absolutely. We'll make sure to link all your resources in the episode show notes. And I just want to say thank you on behalf of our community for being a pioneer in this space. We need so much more culturally competent financial information out there. And so I just want to thank you for being a leader and really being an example of what is possible for us. I appreciate that very much. And thank you for what you're doing and taking things down to another level. Thank you. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions or misleading or defamatory statements usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer